We are glad to have Dr. Garfield Harvey back with us today and teaching on the day of Pentecost, which falls today on the liturgical church calendar. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 2, 1 through 13. If you'd like to follow along in our pew Bibles, this is on page 909. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Garfield. Well, hello. It's good to be back. I always like to share that I, I love friends. So whenever I speak, if something strikes you, don't be shy. You can respond by saying amen or smile at me if you're shy. Uh, what I want us to grab hold of in this special today is how the early church um, started. Not simply where we are now, but how it actually started. And when we think of Pentecost, we just think about the speaking in tongues um, and can be very contentious sometimes. Should we speak in tongues or should we not speak in tongues? I think about it this way. Uh, imagine if you had your birthday on a leap year. You know, every, you know, every so often you wouldn't get a chance to celebrate your birthday, right? You know, we try to say, oh, we'll just celebrate the next day. Well, that's not actually your birthday. Your birthday falls on a particular day, February 29th. If you're a Christian, Easter and Christmas is highly celebrated. I mean, think about a year without having the caroling. Or think about the springtime hearing, Christ is risen, and it says he's risen indeed. But then when it comes to Pentecost, that's where we tend to um, lose the same excitement, um, the same energy that Christ wants for us. And so on the Christian calendar, we celebrate these years, and we've often just reduced Pentecost as I said earlier, to just speaking in tongues. And we have to think about the non-salvation issues, right? Now, we just heard this in the Acts 2, 1 through 13. 
we see the miracle of Pentecost was simply the source of empowerment that enabled um, the salvation of souls. So don't worry, you won't find me up here speaking in tongues um, with you, not because I believe or don't believe in it, um, but that is not the focus today. But why Pentecost? Why did God choose the Feast of Pentecost as the day in which he would pour out his spirit in this way? Throughout the Bible, God has been using these larger events to advance um, his plan. Look through all the Bibles, you'll see all the different feasts. Every feast you find is connected to his ministry. It's no different here. God has been unveiling his plans for the world in a chronological order through ancient Jewish um, feasts. For example, Jesus was crucified on the feast of Passover. You guys know that, right? Yes. And I know you guys love the word. <laughs> this is the feast when the lambs were offered as an atoning sacrifice at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, the sacrifice of these lambs at Passover, it coincided with the lamb who died for our sins. Now, if you look through history, you'll see that as they were crucifying these lambs, Jesus was being crucified only a few hundred yards away. So not very far away. So it's very um, synonymous with this. So he died, and then he rose from the dead on the feast of first fruits. Notice how he loved these feasts. The feast of first fruits, this is when the Jews would present the first of their harvest in the temple of the Lord. Um, so they're thanking him for their blessings. So we're seeing how we would thank God that his son was risen from the dead on this day, on this Sunday. We're thankful for this. So Jesus rises on the Feast of First Fruits to suggest that he is the first of many to follow. All of us as Christians will die at some point. I'm not trying to be morbid, but it's true. But even when we die, we will rise again with a glorified body. So this was symbolic with Jesus saying that as he's risen from the dead in this glorified body, so too we will rise with this glorified body. So it's synonymous. So he's saying that I am the first of many to come. And so he dies on Passover, rises on first fruits, and the next feast on the Jewish calendar is the feast of Shavuot or the feast of weeks. Now we say in English, Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? 50th. What does it mean? Yes. It comes from this Greek word meaning 50th. And so the very next feast on the Jewish calendar after the resurrection of Jesus is the Feast of Pentecost. That's the day that God determined that he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now here we are this Pentecost. And here's some historical backgrounds because there's a reason why God chose this day. So the Feast of Weeks, because the feast was seven weeks following uh, the previous feast, um, seven full weeks at the altar. And so there are two main reasons that the Jews celebrated Pentecost. The first is to commemorate the giving of the law that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. That's the very first one. So the Ten Commandments were given um, to Moses on Mount Sinai by God. But if you're familiar with the story, there is something 
tragic that takes place at the base. Moses is at the top. God is giving him these Ten Commandments, and he's you know, writing these things down on stone, and he's happy about this. But there's a commotion happening at the base. The commotion is that the people are worshiping these idols. So they figured more or less that Moses might not come back. And so Moses, of course, had left his brother Aaron. You know, nothing like leaving your sibling behind and chaos erupts, right? Or maybe you have children and you leave your oldest child to take care of the rest. And you come back and it's not the way you left it. You ever experienced that before? You just kind of like walk through the door like, should I just make a U-turn? Like, now what? This is not how I left it. This is exactly what happened. Like, Moses is up there, and he left Aaron. Aaron knows exactly what's supposed to happen. And he hears this noise. And so when they went there, the people decided that we need to create a god for ourselves. Let's take all our gold and throw it in this fire, and we're going to have, you know, Aaron do it, because Aaron won't get in trouble. So Aaron's going to mix up these, uh, this gold, and he's going to turn it into this, these calves. When Moses comes back and he confronts his brother, because like, I left you in charge. Aaron's like, well, I know what happened. The people wanted a God. That's literally what happened. In short, Moses said to the crowd, if you're serious about God, I want you to partner with me. I want you to come on my side. Now, he doesn't tell them why. He just wants to know. You're worshiping these false gods. If you're serious about God, join me. That's all he says. And the Levites, the tribe of Levites, they joined Moses. You know, those are the worshipers. Just imagine, you know, Pastor Albert comes in and just says, I want all of you guys to join me. But thankfully, he's not in the old days because you're going to see what happens. Moses gave uh, Levi the instruction as part of God's judgment because of this idolatry. Look what happens. Exodus 32 verse 27. Thank God for Jesus. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not what you're expecting, right? You're thinking, oh, I'll come with you. We see you cross the Red Sea. Yes, I'm going to be on your side. He says, great, you're on my side. Get your sword and kill everyone who didn't join me. Now take a close look at verse 28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. So they killed 3,000 people. The first day of the giving of the law, Moses confronts the people and tells Levites to rally with him, strap their sword on their side, go around, and they're supposed to exercise the judgment of God because of this idolatry. And we see that 3,000 people died that day. Now, keep that number 3,000 with you, right? Keep that number with you. Keep it in mind, back of your head, because it's going to connect with us in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost, the same day the commandment is given to the law. They're commemorating this now. So on this feast, they're remembering what took place. So on this feast, the people are remembering the commandment that was given to Moses. 
and how you know this slaughter took place. That's what they're commemorating. They're not celebrating, they're commemorating that day. This is what's taking place. So look what we find here when Peter begins to preach in Acts 2, 38 to 40. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation this crooked or perplexed generation. There's a parallel to the story in Exodus. Moses' first Pentecost, the first time that the law was given, he says to separate from this crooked or perverse generation. That's what he said. If you are with me, join me. So he's separating those who were in idolatry and those who were after God. And now here we have, so the Levites, they rallied around, 3,000 people died that day. Look what happens now with Peter. Peter says in his to repent, he's calling people to repent, and in Acts 2, 40 to 41, it says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, how many? 3,000 souls were added. On this Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. The old Pentecost was the giving of the law. The new Pentecost is the giving of God's spirit. In the Old Testament, 3,000 people died because they were in idolatry. But here we have in this new um, Pentecost, those who you know, are giving unto God, 3,000 people got saved and they lived. Seeing this reversal? Why is it this law? Why is it the law you know, that it led to death? Well, simple. The law was never intended to save us. So when Moses came back, those who didn't serve God, it was simply death. That was the law. See, it was intended to expose your sinful condition so that you would see the need for a savior. That's what the law did. The law exposes who you are. The law exposes the sickness of the human heart. In other words, it's okay to live by this moral code, but you can't be saved by fulfilling the law. But living by this moral code doesn't offer salvation. Being a good moral person, like we often see, doesn't provide us with access to heaven. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and is initiated by the Spirit of God. We read scriptures and we see that it's the Spirit of God that draws us to him. We don't get saved on our own. It doesn't matter how great we might think we can preach a sermon, that's not how you get saved. You get saved because it's the Spirit of God that draws you. So in the Old Testament, we see how the sin was exposed. When Moses got there and see them in, in, in idolatry, he says, if you are for me, join me, be separated. There was no forgiveness of sin. It was only a separation. So we see the exposure of the heart, the sinful heart, and then the remaining died. But here you see Peter saying, if you repent of your sins, 
you can experience heaven. 3,000 people are now saved. So when we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives, that's when we have this life, this newness of life. The Spirit of God bears witness with our hearts that we need Jesus, and then we make that decision to follow him. So when we hear the Word of God, when the Word of God is impressed on our hearts, now we have a decision to make. Will we follow Jesus? If you're a believer in the room, you had to make that decision. I mean, how many of you got saved because someone forced you to? Any hands? Maybe you got saved when you were five. You're like, I don't know when I got saved. I was just in church all my life. I was pretty much born and raised in the church. I mean, they would forget that I was in the church, go home and come back and realize that I'm still sleeping on the pew, you know. And if you go to those tarrying services, you guys ever been to a tarrying service before? Okay, tarrying services are the ones who, that's Pentecost. And they get you to the altar. And because you're so unlearned, they say, say Jesus. And you say Jesus, and you say Jesus a little faster. It starts off very progressive. They say, Jesus, Jesus. And after three hours, you're still not speaking in tongues yet. And you had a baby just watching. Back then, if we had cell phones, oh, man, we'd be exposing pictures right now. Because you... <laughs> but that's, that was my childhood, you know, grew up and seeing that in the church. So uh, I, I tend to believe that I got saved when I was nine, but I'm pretty sure it was before, because I got baptized at two. The way that did for me was they brought me to New Jersey, is in Boston, they drove me all the way to New Jersey. I'm not sure why they drove so far from Boston to New Jersey. And they had me playing in the pool all day. And then that night they had baptism service and baptized me. And I was crying. But they got me used to the water. But then I, when I became nine, I realized that I needed to serve Jesus for myself. And I made that decision. You know, and I'm sure for many of you, the same thing. You might have visited church a few times, and you might have heard about the gospel, not really understand what it meant, but then you showed up time and time again, and something stirred in your heart, and eventually you say, I want to make that decision to serve Jesus, because you realize that the way that you're living is no longer desirable. You know, sin has a way of, you know, becoming enticing, and after a while you're like, why am I even doing this? Ever been there before? You know, you've been living in sin for so long, and then you don't even know what happened. You just change your ways, and you're like, wait a minute. I haven't done that in a long time. And you realize, I might as well serve Jesus. After all, I'm already going to church or going to a small group. That's what the Spirit of God does. It bears witness with our heart to say, you need something different. Or maybe you're starting to live different, not because of what you're doing, but it's the Spirit of God is stirring something on the inside. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I offer you abundant life. That's pretty good. But then in John 3, 16, he says, I offer you eternal life. You get both an abundant life, but also eternal life. Can't get much better than that. See, life is found 
in the spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, not by being a good person. See, it's easy for us to say, well, I'm a good person. <laughs> Sorry, it's not going to be good enough, pun intended. God says, I choose Pentecost because I want people to understand the law kills, but my spirit gives life. The second reason the Jews chose Pentecost is to celebrate the end of the wheat harvest by offering two loaves of wheat bread made with yeast. I'm sure you guys haven't heard Pentecost taught like this before, right? Talking about feast and fruits and yeast. They offered these two loaves of wheat bread at the temple. Back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 23, verses 16 to 17. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. This is the only feast where they were required to bring yeast as part of their offering. You see, they're waving this to the Lord. Now, why is this significant? Now, yeast in the Bible is always a picture of sin. And see, some nodding heads like, yeah, I know that. I like hearing that. Yes. If you know anything about baking, any bakers in the house? Ah, I see some hands. You know, when you say bakers, if you notice, it's always like the mothers raise their hands first. Like, you know, like, I, I bake. <laughs> um, just to give you a hint, if you ever see me again here, I like um, banana nut <laughs> bread. But I like it a very specific way. I don't like tasting the nuts. I like to, you have to blend it. So... And in the event you bake it before I get back, I'm not too far away. I just live across the lake. So Pastor Albert knows how to find me. And, and Stephanie knows how to find me as well. So it's okay to bake uh, something. But if you know anything about baking, uh, yeast works through the dough and it expands. Am I, am I right, bakers? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <sighs> that was a risk right there. Like, what if they said, no, it doesn't expand? Then I'm in trouble, right? When we ignore sin in our lives, it expands and it blocks us from fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. So yeast is this picture of sin. On Passover, they were to get rid of all the yeast in their house because Passover was this sacred time when the sacrifice was made for the sins of the people. So when they were offering these lambs, all the yeast had to be gone because this is this one time you get a chance to celebrate this. We're offering this. So remove all the yeast. Remove every sinful desires. So Jesus, this spotted lamb, the spotless lamb, I should say, dies on the cross with no sin within him. He dies to take on our sin. So in the Old Testament, when they removed the yeast and they have these lambs being offered, the lambs were being sacrificed on their behalf. So the, these spotted lambs were taking on the sin, while Jesus is taking on our sins. 
But in this feast, God says, I want you to include yeast in this offering. So they would bake these two loaves with, you know, with the wheat bread. They would bring it to the temple, and then they would wave these loaves of honoring God. They're honoring God that he's Lord of the harvest. I can just imagine if we all took two loaves of bread just waving it. That kind of looked kind of weird, right? Like just going to Safeway and say, can I get two loaves of wheat bread? Why? So I can go to church and wave it. That's what they did. And they're honoring God with this. On Pentecost, God accepted the yeast. Why? When you get to Pentecost in Acts 2, there's also this great harvest. 3,000 souls get saved. Their lives had been marked by sin or yeast. And sin had been expanding in their lives. The, the sins, the way they lived. But what happened? God accepted them. Just as in the Old Testament, the people brought these two loaves with the yeast that expanded to make the bread what it is. Here in the New Testament, people who had the sin in their lives, sin that has been expanding, God says, that's what I want. Bring me all the people that had sin that was expanding in their lives so that I can forgive them. Matthew 9, 37-38 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The world is like a harvest field, and the world needs Jesus. So Jesus says, I want you to pray that everyday Christians who love Jesus would have this desire to go into the world and to lead people to Christ so that they can be part of this great harvest. On this Pentecost in Acts 2, God says, give me these sinners, the sinners who repented, and they came to him by faith. By faith, they received forgiveness of sins. They became this offering unto the Lord on the day of Pentecost. It was not only a statement that the law leads to death, and the Spirit gives life, but it was also a statement that there is a great harvest of souls who have been infected with sin, but God has accepted and received them. So they are saved by grace. I mean, think about how God is intentional with these stories. See, we often miss these stories because we look for just bits and pieces. So when we think of Pentecost, we think about the speaking in tongues. So we think about, you know, the 120 in the upper room. But God is saying, no, there's more to it than that. So let's look at what we see in Pentecost. There is the sound. Now, the apostles were gathered in the upper room, not just the apostles, but a total of 120 people. Acts 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In the Bible, the wind often symbolizes the presence of God. When we see wind, we see the presence of God. This is illustrated in Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. You guys ever read that story before? Yes? Ezekiel 37, 
verses uh, 9 to 14. You can read it and when you get home. So you see the presence of God is represented by this wind. It breathed life into these bones. These bones stood up and they came alive. So we have the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the room where the disciples were gathered. It was evidence that God was at work in the midst. Now, I thought about, you know, there. Now, Pentecost, of course, 50 days after the resurrection. Do you remember how long Jesus stayed on earth before he went back to heaven? 40 days. So he went back 40 days, and he said to wait in the upper room for Pentecost. Now, of course, the disciples, they didn't know how long they were going to be in this room. Can you imagine? COVID comes around, and they say, I want you guys to just sit in this room. You can't leave. Now, I was looking at social media, and I saw all the different families saying, I'm tired of being with my spouse. Get me out of here. Imagine if we all get stuck in this room, just, just this, a box. Like, who's going to be the designated cook? Can you imagine introverts and extroverts in the same room for 10 days? I'm an introvert. Uh, I know I am. But can you imagine the extroverts saying, come on, let's play some games. And the introvert is like, can this corner get any smaller? <laughs> but these guys are in, this, in that room 120 people in that room. They don't know how long they're going to be in there. All they know is that Jesus said to go there and wait. Then out of nowhere, they hear a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And I'm not sure how, if they're excited or just lost it. If you're sleeping, you hear the sound. You're wondering what's going on. But it was evidence that God was at work. Then verse 3, there is this sight. Acts 2 and verse 3. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Like wind, fire is often a symbol of God's presence. And here's some facts about fires. Uh, fires cleanses. In Isaiah 6, the prophet said in, in Isaiah 6, verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then tells us that one of the angelic beings took a burning coal from the altar and touched his lips. He said, your, in verse 7, that your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. So the Holy Spirit is like a fire that cleanses our hearts of the sinful desires of this world. Fire also consumes. The Holy Spirit will burn up the pride and selfish desires that we might have in our lives. We have to allow him to have the first place. And we know that fire creates more fire. The fervor for Jesus is contagious and it spreads throughout what we see in Pentecost. There's also the speech that we see that took place um, throughout from verses 4 to 13. So along with the miracle of the sound and sight, there is this miracle of speech. Acts 2 and verse 4 said, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is where it brings up this debate of speaking in tongues. Some believe that speaking in tongues is evidence that one has been baptized in the Spirit. And some say speaking in tongues 
is a prayer language and to signify one's closeness to God. Some believe that every Christian should seek to speak in tongues as part of the Christian experience. Let me say that speaking in tongues is a gift that God has made available to every believer. Let me also say that the real miracle of Pentecost was not the tongues, but the power of God that transformed the lives of the disciples to become bold witnesses for Jesus. That was the point of Pentecost. So according to Acts 1 verse 4, the most important aspect of Pentecost was that the Spirit of God came upon these believers. Now I know we saw the focus on the apostles since they were the earthly leaders, but we shouldn't forget the remaining people in the room with a total of 120. Similar for today, Pentecost marks the coming of the Spirit to empower the church to carry out the Great Commission. What does the Holy Spirit enable Christians to do today? The first thing we see is that it helps us to speak courageously, Acts 4, 8 to 12. If you remember, the disciples were cautious at first. They were afraid that how Christ was crucified, they were afraid that the sin was going to happen to them. So they were in this room. Remember when he showed up through the door, they were already locked up because they thought that they were going to be crucified. But now when Pentecost came, they have this boldness to do ministry in the same city that Jesus was crucified. There's that boldness. Also to speak about Jesus openly, Acts 2.22, to make wise decisions. It helps us to face life's challenges confidently, to look to God's word and to answer God's call. Now we've mistakenly believed the observance of Pentecost is reserved for those that we call Pentecostals. We've even labeled them as being charismatic. Those charismatic folks over there. And at times, you know, disapprove of their worship styles. You know, my wife and I, and I always have these stories. I'm, don't worry, I'm almost done. <laughs> my wife and I, we visited a church recently. The experience was 100% of what I experienced growing up in the church. But it was also 100% opposite of what I've experienced in the past six years in church. So we got to the church. We saw people, you know, they were speaking in tongues and they were speaking and singing prophetically and they had the flag and streamers and they're going around, they were dancing. People are falling to the floor and, you know, they call us to the, to the front like, I want to pray for all the pastors in the Bay Area. And we went up and they prayed for me and I didn't fall, but people were falling. And I'm like, I hope they don't think that I'm, you know, and, you know, some, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so there I am in this big church because they had all these churches come together. And I'm up there and I'm watching like, oh, let me just get out the way so people can, you know, go ahead and fall, you know. <laughs> and then I'm like, can I get off the stage quickly? Because in that moment, I didn't feel what they were feeling. But this was how the Spirit of God moved. So it was completely different of what I've experienced here in the past six years. Now, I grew up in a church where that was the norm. People falling out, speaking in tongues, 
prophesying, interpreting tongues. So that's what I'm used to. Came to the West Coast, and it's different. It's really different. Sometimes you're like, can you sing the song? Many would suggest that that church was too charismatic or too Pentecostal. Now, I might be reserved, but I'm Pentecostal in nature. I grew up with a B3 organ. But the history of the Christian church dates back more than 2,000 years. The Pentecostal movement only emerged in 1906. What took place? You guys get quiet on me now because, okay, that means I'm preaching too long. We also have the Azusa Street Revival. See, on that day, Pentecost in Acts 2, people were speaking in tongues. Who are the interpreters? The ones who heard it. Because the ones who were speaking had no clue what was happening. The Bible tells us that the ones who heard it says, wait a minute, those guys are speaking in our language. But we've reduced Pentecost to be something weird for the charismatic people. But there is something that God did uniquely in that. Not just the tongues. We create this tension about whether it's necessary. But that was never the point of Pentecost. It was the fact that the Spirit of God who empowered Jesus' earthly ministry dwells in those who surrendered their lives to Christ. That's what it was all about. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And his mission still continues the same way. Why? Because you have his spirit. So whether you speak in tongues or not, if you have the spirit of God, you have the spirit of God to continue his mission. I mean, I find hard to believe that Jesus is walking around just being spooky. That was never the case. He was speaking in English. It's the Spirit of God that allows us, it empowers us to be a witness. So we are empowered to take the gospel to the nations as witnesses of, for Christ. So our mission, another way to say it is that the focus of Pentecost is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the result of Pentecost is sharing the gospel. Say it again. The focus of Pentecost is the gift of the Holy Spirit, what we receive. And the result of Pentecost is us sharing the result, sharing the gospel. You have everything you need to share this good news of the gospel. Everything. Why? Because you have his spirit. Amen. Amen. Do you know where everyone can go to receive forgiveness of sins? They can come right here. Yes, they can ask for forgiveness wherever they are, but there is a place that it can come. Those who are living in sin know that there is a church they can walk into and ask for the forgiveness of sins, and they can receive their forgiveness. Because the Spirit of God dwells here because you, me, we are the church. And because God's Spirit lives in us, whenever we walk through these doors, His presence is with us. His presence is not residing in a building. His presence is residing in a person. And Pentecost was all about the Spirit of God taking residence in people. 
Is the Spirit of God living inside of you? Amen? Yes, sounds like it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I just want to say, there won't be any violent wind today. I didn't see that in the forecast. In fact, I didn't read in scriptures where we saw any more violent wind happening. But each and every Sunday that you gather for worship, we gather here, we're all coming because the Spirit of God is dwelling on the inside of us. We're here to worship God, the God who is behind the wind, the God who showed up in a room where 120 people were ready to see this move of God. Why do you gather to worship God? I mean, why do you leave your homes? Because we understand that there's power when we unite together. Amen? We're going to prepare our hearts for communion. And Pentecost is a good reminder for all of us. If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Um, this is an opportunity for you to accept Christ in your life. Communion is something that we take part of by faith. The disciples went to the upper room by faith that something will happen. They didn't know what, but they expect something to happen. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, well, how do I know when I'm a Christian? Or how do I know that I'm living this life? You know, is, is there something dramatic that's going to take place? The question I would have for you is, do you have this willingness to ask for forgiveness in faith? Faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about this feeling. It's this hard posture, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Communion is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the finished work on the cross. And after Christ died, he rose from the dead three days and saying, one day you're going to have a glorified body. And when we partake of communion, we are remembering this, that one day we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to have this glorified body. And not only will we have abundant life, but we're going to have eternal life. So I want to pray first for those who are not saved. Father, pray for the one who's here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they will come to know you as Lord of their lives and receive forgiveness of sins. You are willing to forgive. God, you sent your son to this world to die for sins. And if we place our faith in you, then we can receive forgiveness. So I pray, God, that they'll receive forgiveness to serve you even now, God. And I pray, God, for all of us here, all of us that are um, serving you as Christians or believers, that you will help us to remember the finished work on the cross and how we have an opportunity to serve you for the rest of our lives. I pray, God, that we never forget that you're sending your son again to bring us home to live with you forever. So bless this time in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just invite you to and as they're 
if you don't have an elements, we do have them being passed around. And I'll invite you to have a moment of worship as you can partake of the communion as you as you will.